again welcome back to the show episode two i can't believe we're on the second episode it feels like we've been through so much already you know it it already feels like the second episode is a more momentous occasion than the first episode i mean anyone can do a first episode but the second episode that's a big deal we're off into uncharted waters now who knows what we can talk about now the material can go any which way. My commentary could become more in-depth and intriguing. My defenses to my arguments could be get even more impactful and meaningful, or uh, maybe I'll get too stoned to come up with anything meaningful and I'll have to talk about poop stuff. Uh, you know, take the low-hanging fruit. I feel like, I think the toughest part for me in trying to be a comedian or whatnot is resisting the urge to go for the, the poop jokes and, you know, actually write good material that's well thought out. Um, that low-hanging fruit is always there if needed, but and people do love it, but I feel like I owe myself something to take the high ground and uh, go for more nuanced and, and well-thought-out things, and um, you know, or at least save it for episode three. Yeah. Uh, so I'll hold on to it uh, until the time feels right, though painful as it may be to hold on to all of that. It's just, it, but it's not good to force it, um, which could cause permanent damage to one's uh, podcast. Well, anyways, thank you for tuning in. Uh, for the younger members of our audience, tuning in refers to the days of older radios uh, when you had to carefully adjust the knob on the radio to find the right signal so that it wasn't staticky. Uh, for those same audience members, a radio is a device once used to pick up signals sent by radio stations all across the country. They used to be everywhere. You may have seen one in the car um, it's that in the center, uh, it's the function of the, the stereo um, that is accessed with the button that says FM. Um, and also there was AM, but it sounds like old, dead, and outdated, you know, much like radio uh, in general. Uh, oh, those were the days where you, you turned on the radio and searched through endless static just to find a station that would only come in partially as long as you kept touching the radio itself, using yourself as an antenna of sorts. I'm sure that was healthy. Like, it'd be like, imagine if you had a Bluetooth device, but it only worked if you were physically touching both items. Like, it would have been cool if you could have done that, but it would have been even more short-lived than the cassette. Um, but, yeah, it's funny. I say those were the days, like I miss it or something. I'm pretty sure I don't miss having no control over the song choice or what position I had to stay contorted in to enjoy hearing Fueled by Metallica for the fuckteenth time in the same day. You know, I love nostalgia, but not really because it's nice or, or comforting to revisit things that I love, but 
when I was younger, but mostly because I, I get to have a better appreciation of the amazing stuff we have these days. Um, I would really rather never own or handle a portable Walkman CD player ever again. Uh, that used to be the pinnacle of music listening. Oh, the skip protection. Yeah, I guess what I'm getting to here is that sometimes a nostalgia of something doesn't necessarily make it good. Like, I feel like we all have a tendency to look back at the old tech or music or TVs or movies and, and put things on a pedestal that they just really don't belong in. I feel like this was happening when the, the, with the current resurgence of uh, the popularity of record players. Um, now, I mean, is it really worth all the trouble that goes into one? Like, like really? But that's a fairly contentious issue, and I don't feel like getting into it, to be honest. Um, but since... You know, since having a kid, I have found myself um, enjoying some nostalgia as I introduce my daughter to the good stuff I grew up with, like Pokemon, SpongeBob, Kingdom Hearts even. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's held up very well. We, we even rock the Golden Girls, represent! But it also means that for some things, the veil gets pulled back to reveal that some things either haven't aged well, which happens, you know, I really have no problem that my daughter and I will never uh, watch the Cosby show um, together. I'm, I'm glad, to be honest. Um, but on a quick side note to that, Bill Co what, what Bill Cosby did was horrifying and appalling. And, and after all that, it's, it's really hard to watch or, or listen to his comedy. Um, so his deletion from the popular culture space is welcome. Um, but try as we might. You know, be honest with yourself here. Like, super honest with yourself. If someone were to say to you something to the effect of, would you like some pudding? There's a little voice that goes off in your head, isn't there? Is it a... It's a, it's a voice that sounds, sounds a little like the pudding, doesn't it? Every fucking time, too. Don't lie. We all do it. Much like the cha-cha slide, it's programmed in there, and there is nothing you can do about it. Just wanted to point that out uh, and, and ruin th some things for you in the future. That's, that's my job. So back on point now. To, to hit right where it hurts, um, the Disney classics. I have found, after watching a lot more of them these days, um, they, they absolutely baffle me at just high, how high up on a pedestal that people have put those movies. Um, and it's not because of all the racist stuff in them of, of which there is a lot. Um, but it's only part of the problem. Even on a technical level, I don't see why we hold some of them as dearly as we do. I mean, for the, for the most part, Cinderella, Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, Dumbo, Bambi, and, and quite a few others all have storylines that should only cover about a half hour of screen time at best. And the rest is just time-killing fluff because they really didn't have a story with enough stuff in it. Think back on that. Now, sadly enough, with some of those movies, the fluff tends to be some uh, rather racist tangents that they get going on. Uh, one of the worst for that being Dumbo, where I speculate that in the planning room for that movie, they sat down and said, 
All right, boys, we've got to kill another half hour of screen time because our story is so fucking short that we need to hide it from the audience. So, we have a couple options. One, we can do a scene where Dumbo gets inexplicably drunk and goes on a hallucinogenic trip and do some kind of, we can do some kind of song number for it. I'm sure the kiddies will absolutely love it. Or two, we could do a really racist song number with some crows or something like that. I mean, we started the movie off with a racist song number. The least we could do is end it off with something needlessly racist. Just this time, we'll use black animals instead of black people. It'll be really innovative. And then after a few moments of silent contemplation, one guy stood up and said, Fellas, by golly, I think I've got it. How about we do both? We'll have Dumbo get drunk off his ass and do a trippy-ass song number that'll really scar the children for life, and then he'll wake up hungover and meet those racist crow caricatures, and they'll do one final racist number, and then end the scene, and you know what? Let's make that last racist song the slogan of the whole goddamn movie as the characters say it one more time. Gentlemen, I think we have ourselves a movie here. And that's how it was decided. I mean, Disney had a real habit of filling screen time with very cringeworthy, sometimes unneeded material. I mean, Lady and the Tramp would hardly have been long enough to be called a movie if they had just left out the uh, We Are Siamese song and the dog fucking song. Yes, there's a whole number on how many dogs the Tramp has been fucking all over town. Now, some movies, like one in particular that I now truly dislike, don't even have the technical problems, like not enough story uh, and too much and too much screen time to fill in. Um, the one I've really come to hate that people really love glorifying is is Peter Pan. And I'll say it again, as I have to do with almost all the Disney classics, it's not just because of the racist stuff. Okay, now Disney really used to be the purveyors of refined racism. Um, it would almost be impressive if it wasn't so racist. Um, in this particular movie, I can at least say that there's no blackface. You know, surprisingly, there's no blackface. You know, some of those really old Disney cartoons, uh, it almost seemed like there was one animator just aggressively pushing for blackface. Like, and next we see the king and queen and they, they should probably be in blackface. And they kept having to say, damn it, Jim, we'll get to the blackface later, not now. But in place of the usual disparaging tropes, um, Peter Pan in particular decided to go with uh, Native American stereotypes and whitewashing. And the Native American stuff is really already very cringy before they even started singing you know there's the typical how jokes and peace pipe jokes and the stereotypical broken english that white audiences just went nuts for especially when it was obviously voiced by a white dude though i'm not sure what's worse a white guy voicing a native american stereotype or asking an actual native american to do the voice and say all the racist shit um but it definitely gets worse uh when the song starts up because the preface to the song starting up is that uh, the characters are asking stuff like, what made the red man red? Why is the red man red? When did he first say, ugh? And why do they ask you how? Fucking wholesome, right? And in this completely appalling song, they answer said questions that no one should ever ask anyone. So they answer these questions in this order. Uh, first, apparently the Indians, uh, spelled that way, um, ask how, because they didn't know much at the time, and now they do, 
because they ask how. Comparatively not the worst one in this song. I mean, yeah, you have to set aside some glaring, glaring stereotypes here, but it's it's not so bad as it could have been, you know, really. Uh, but of course, they had to double down on it and do a little translation of what their chant means. You can look it up. This this is what they wrote for the song. So here here are the words of the song. Una, munda, gunda. Una meaning what? Mana meaning and. And gunda meaning that too. Seriously, that's just as confusing reading it as it is to hear it. Okay? Um, but... I'm not an anthropologist or a linguist or anything, but I'm pretty sure none of that is accurate. Um, but I can't figure out if they mean Munda means and, and so does Gunda, or if Gunda quite literally means that too. None of which make any sense which is kind of more racist. Like, we're on the first verse and we've already got some oniony racism here layers racism has layers donkey uh <laughs> so next verse because uh, it's all downhill from here uh when did he first say ug um and i should remind you the he they are referring to uh still the red man and not the rapper um and apparently for this one and i quote in the engine, there's that word again. In the engine book, it say, actual quote there, when first brave married squaw, he gave out a big ug. When he saw his mother-in-law. Wow. Lovely joke, Disney. Misogynistic, tired, and racist. Lairs, donkey! Moving on. Yes, it gets worse. Third question, and the most pressing of the song, what made the red man red? Still, should be noted, not the rapper. And it says, let's go back a million years. You know, at least they didn't, you know, at least they weren't adding some young earth creationist bullshit, but um, it doesn't really save the song. Uh, so anyway, here we go. Go back a million years to the very first engine prince, again with that word, uh, you know, they had to use it uh, the third time, obviously, rule of thirds. He kissed a maid and started to blush, and we've all been blushing since. It's, I feel like it's kind of like they hit a creative wall and decided to break through it with a racist sledgehammer. Blushing? Like, I feel like they scraped the bottom of the barrel with that shit, like, when they came up with that. But if that made you feel like the song took a whimsical, fun turn there, don't worry. They seal it off, and, and they seal it all off and really put a, the final cherry on the racist cake with the, with the song's final declaration. You've got it from the head man, the real true story of the red man, not the rapper. No matter what's been written or said, now you know why the red man's red. Wow. If that isn't the shitty, tough, inedible skin around the racist onion for you. I mean, damn. The fact that they were able to take some playful racism and layer it in with the actual fucked up racism and then declare it in the end 
the 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 end all answer for all the questions no one ever asked or should ever ask is once again almost impressive if it wasn't so appallingly racist. Lairs. But you know, I'm glad there's no record of them coming up with the lyrics. You know, that creative process, uh, you know, that would have been a horrible time to be a fly on the wall in that room. I mean, what other horrible verses did they come up with that got cut? Is is this the final product? Was it the least racist version of what they wrote, or did they come up with a more wholesome song and then decide to scrap that after they had had enough bourbon before noon? Once again, I'm not sure which of those scenarios is worse, but they're both pretty bad. We're probably lucky uh, that the Lost Boys didn't gain a black member until the 90s. Like, we're probably very lucky. I don't want to know how they would have animated that one. Uh, And yes, that was a reference to Hook with Robin Williams, which I'm fine with that movie. And we will get to that in a bit. I will not shit on that movie, though. Um, So at this point... I want to re-clarify my earlier statement that my biggest problems with Peter Pan are not with the racist stuff. Honestly, it's par for the course in terms of Disney movies of that era. Not saying it's right in any way, but it's far from the only thing that ruins the film. It's time to turn our attention over to the main cocksucker in question, Peter Pan himself. Many would consider him a beloved fictional character, a hero. Um, I can practically guarantee that even if only a small handful of people are listening to this, at least one of them had Peter Pan as their high school play, um, or know someone who did. It's a pretty popular character. And sadly, the Disney classic version is probably the most popular or well-known iteration. Even the, the plays are usually set off of that. Uh, so let's break down just why that pisses me off so much. Well, so the first thing that he does is in the middle of the night, he sneaks into some kids' bedrooms while they are asleep and then proceeds to tempt them with fun and whimsical things that they'll try out like his fairy dust and his van, the van being Neverland in this analogy. Now I don't say this often, But the parents of the kids in this were practically begging for them to be kidnapped or traumatized or horribly maimed at the very least, considering they've left a St. Bernard in charge of babysitting. Yes, you could say that maybe she was just there helping and Wendy was the oldest, but she didn't really seem to give two shits about a dog taking care of a baby. So it's hard to say that she was a responsible party. I mean, if you think about it, they taught a dog how to change a diaper with what I can only assume was the express purpose to take care of their kids for them. They named it Nana for fuck's sake. Look it up on Google. Nana is described as the family's nursemaid, meaning they originally got this dog purely to aid them in neglecting their children. I can only imagine all the insane training techniques to force a dog into learning how to change a diaper or even just keep a baby alive. Uh, Now, there are the makings of an intriguing origin story. I won't discount that, but I digress. So Peter Pan commits multiple felonies within seconds of being on screen. 
Now, I guess one could make the case uh, that he gave them psychotropic drugs in the form of fairy dust. But you know what? Let's give him the benefit of the doubt here and say that he gave them the ability to fly with actual fairy dust, and then they flew to Neverland. Uh, if that were the case, he still took three miners from their bedrooms uh, over what I can only assume are state lines, which already makes those charges worse. Uh, now, at this point, Tinkerbell gets pissy, probably because she's used to Peter Pan's bullshit by now. It's fairly well established that Tinkerbell has a thing for Peter Pan. She's immediately jealous at Wendy, even though Peter is being the obvious douche as he abruptly throws Tink to the wayside to hit on Wendy right in front of her, which proves to be very dangerous as Tinkerbell attempts to kill the kids or sell them out on multiple occasions of the film. So then Peter decides that he likes this new chick better. So then he tells an already murderous fairy to fuck off with hardly any consideration. Uh, because having Tinkerbell gone just benefits him more in the moment. So Pan essentially says, out with the old, in with the new, like a fucking pig. But if it wasn't, if that wasn't enough to convince you of what a trashy Neverland version of Zack Morris Peter Pan is, he then takes her to meet the mermaids. This, this is where it, I feel like it gets kind of deep in a bad way. Uh, but while that's going on, the two boys and the rest of the lost boy and the rest of the, rest of the lost boys posse go to war with the native population. And yeah, of course, all white kids hunting uh, natives has some real imperialist colonizer overtones to it, especially when they start uh, their plan out by saying that the they, they are far smarter than the native people. And that really is the best I can do to paraphrase that without using offensive terms. But we've addressed that and, and we're, we're going to move on for now. Uh, so Pan's next dick move um, is taking Wendy to see the mermaids. And now it becomes obvious obvious right off the bat. Uh, the sexual tension is super high between the mermaids and Pan. Like, it's not hard to tell that Pan has been wading in those waters for a bit now. He has clearly been getting real freaky with them, but they seem as though they don't mind sharing Peter amongst themselves. Uh, but they look quite ready to call Wendy a slut and try to drown her ass. Uh, yeah, that happens. So really, Peter just brought a girl that definitely has a crush on him to the place where he has his freaky mermaid orgies. Uh, just imagine how well that would go over if you went on a first date with a girl who's crushing on you. You decide to take her to your favorite strip club and show her off to all the girls whose snatches have made close acquaintance with your face. And then after those bitches lure her away and then bully her in the corner and try to drown her, you respond with, oh, come on, girls, stop teasing her. Oh, you guys. Oh, it's cool. They only do that to the girls they like. This was fun. We should do this again. That's pretty much what happened in that scene. Uh, and he really seemed like he got his shitty rocks off on watching it happen. And then we have Hook, the villain, if you will. But I would make the case that he's not so much a villain. Like, he's as much a villain as Jack Sparrow would be a villain. Did he do things like steal, cheat, and lie? Did he hurt some women in his escapades? Yes, he's a pirate. His character would lose all charm if he was a good and decent man. And, you know, happened to be a pirate. Look at what happened to Orlando Bloom. No one wants to see a morally righteous Jack Sparrow, as he is, 
a pirate first, as is Hook. He's a pirate, doing his pirate captain thing, trying to keep his crew together, doing his G thing. This That's his job. And it is apparent that at one time, he was very good at his job, until Peter Pan became the subject of his obsession. Now his only goal is to murder Peter Pan and hoist his severed head up on the mast, I assume. The traumatic event that led Hook down this road of vengeful fixation is well documented. Uh, Peter even brags about it to his side bitches, or, or the mermaids as they're known. He even says to them at one point, Hey, do you girls want me to tell you the story again about how I sliced off Hook's hand and fed it to TikTok Croc? How many times has someone you're hanging out with prefaced a story like this? I'm guessing never that's how much of a sociopath Pan is. So, for the girls listening, let's add to that earlier scenario. The guy that you've been crushing on uh, takes you on a first date to his favorite strip club uh, where the girls harassed and uh, tried to murder you. Oh, and he also bragged to everyone that he cut off someone's hand and fed it to a wild animal. I'm sure your parents would be thrilled. So let's frame it up like this. Let's paint a picture. Imagine yourself as a fully functioning adult, doing your craft. Whatever it is you do, you have a job that is meant for you, doesn't matter what it is. You could be a a corporate executive. Maybe you work with a company that contributes to climate change. Maybe you run a small business. Maybe you're a stockbroker. Whether your job is detrimental to others or not, it is of no consideration because you have found a career at which you feel your skills are being utilized to the fullest. And maybe you own a home. Now, if you're under 35, just imagine like a really nice rental. Um, or maybe your parents left you their house uh, when they died. Or, or maybe you uh, stuck them in a home because eh, that's about the only way that uh, many of us are ever going to uh, experience home ownership. Such a foreign term. And speaking of homes for people who have worn out their usefulness, a quick word from our sponsor is at Cecil Senile Senior Home. Do you have elderly loved ones that just have too much freedom and or money? Their services can help. Free pickup and shipping. The people at Cecil's Senile Senior Home are qualified. Not sure why that has quotations around that. To take care of your loved ones that you'd rather pay less attention to. They accept all forms of payment, including power of attorney. Call today and take that gray away. So back to the picture we were painting. You're living the American dream. You're successful in your trade. You are more than comfortable. You know, like that one white dude that with a boat in his driveway. You know, that guy. So, uh, so anyways, one day, some little pissant shit punk kid gets his friends together and decides to make your life a living hell. Pranks, vandalism, sabotage, cutting the internet cable, you know, real sick shit. And Every time you go after him and his friends, when they fuck with you, the slippery little motherfucker is always just out of reach. And then, on one particular day, you go after this little shit after a prank of some sort. And during the ensuing scuffle, that demon seed of a kid slices off your hand and feeds it to the nearest hungry crocodile, thereby sentencing you to a lifetime of anxiety and fear because the crocodile now has a taste for human flesh, yours in particular. Where did the crocodile come from? I guess in this scenario you live in Florida. 
so it's really not that uncommon to have a crocodile around to feed severed body parts to. Now, I would be willing to bet that after that, you would probably form an unhealthy and murderous obsession with that kid. And wouldn't you kind of deserve some revenge at that point? Could you really blame yourself for wanting to string him up and gut him like a pig? Wouldn't you be doing the world a favor? Especially if that kid was a well-known womanizer? Just add an extra one in there. I would say you're at least justified in those feelings. And then add to that, the little fucker also brags all over town about it. I guess uses it to pick up the chicks he kidnaps? So, needless to say, I think Hook got the shit end of the stick, which is why I will defend the 90s classic Hook. At least Peter finally got some comeuppance for all of his past bullshit. You know, Hook starts the whole thing off by kidnapping his kids. Finally! You know, I feel like he could have at least cut one of the hands off of one of the kids, uh, but that's just my personal opinion. I think it would have been a better movie. If after he found that his kids had been taken, he found the note that Hook's, Hook left, and then after a few moments, all the old memories started flooding back, and he turns to his wife and says, Yeah, I guess I had that coming. Sorry, babe, but that's just the way it goes. Roll credits, done. That would have gotten nominated right there. Best 30 minutes on screen ever. But I really have to give them credit for Hook. Uh, I realize now that one of the many things that they did so well was they really shat on Peter Pan a good bit. Like, they really didn't redeem him all that much. I mean, first he gets his kids taken and dangled in front of him while Hook humiliates him. That was a nice touch. Uh, then he gets shit on by his old crew. He gets shown up by a bunch of kids. That was nice. And Hook even attempts to brainwash his son. I mean, all things I would say he had coming to him. But also, if you notice, as soon as he remembers that he is Peter Pan and that he can fly and, and he used to fuck mermaids, he immediately reverts back to his old douche-nozzle self and forgets his family, all responsibility, and even why he came there in the first place. So really, Peter Pan's old self gets no redemption in that movie. And if you don't believe me, just remember, it took Tinkerbell turning into full-size Julia Roberts to give him an adult boner before he snapped back into reality and remembered, oh yeah, oh yeah, I have a wife and two kidnapped children. But at least full-size Julia Roberts saved the day and killed the old Peter Pan so that he could be born anew. Well, I guess that didn't take much for him to become a better person, really. You know, he just had to consciously choose to stay a child for an un unnatural amount of time, kidnap some kids, fuck a few mermaids, maim someone and feed their severed body parts to an animal, start dating and eventually marry the daughter of the woman he kidnapped as a preteen and put her in all kinds of danger, uh, get the kids you made with said victim's daughter kidnapped from you and then forget about all of them completely and then get a tingle in his wiener from Julia Roberts for Peter Pan to have his comeuppance and grow as a person. It only took, like, most of a century, right? And side note, um, does anybody think it's a little weird of, you know, a fully grown, you know, an older Wendy to just be like, sure, you can have my daughter and make babies together? Did, did, it, like, did nobody see that as a little bit odd? I don't know. But I've talked about this with some people, and, and the usual rebuttal I get is, well, he was a kid and he didn't know any better. So I guess the boys will be boys defense, which is bullshit, and, and shit like that just 
continues to propagate the misogynistic, piggish behavior of young men with no accountability? I mean, when we glorify and defend terrible characters like Peter Pan as heroic and memorable or worthy of passing on to the generation, like, even if he was a kid and didn't know any better, his character in the original movie faced no consequences for anything he did. By the end of the movie, he comes out the shining hero, and he even gets his own golden ship. To me, that's just bad storytelling. I mean, after all that, Tinkerbell sticks with him, and Wendy even thinks he would make a great match for her daughter. I guess, I guess my point of this long-winded dissection is that some movies just really aren't worth defending. Sometimes the artwork of a certain era just doesn't age well regardless of the racist shit. Just from a technical storytelling and movie-making perspective, sometimes what was once considered good back in the day may have only been good at one time. I feel like just purely disliking movies like Peter Pan and Dumbo just because of the racist stuff, it leaves the door, op it leaves the door open for people to pass it off as a byproduct of its time and, and use their nostalgia or fond memories of watching it as a kid and, and, and then make it into something better than it was. Like, what if you had a really great movie? Like, great script, great direction, engaging storytelling, but sadly, one scene with inexplicable, like, Bing Crosby white Christmas blackface. Then, could we say that that's a product of its time? You know, the, the same wrong then and wrong now stuff? But at least wouldn't you, at least you would have a reason to continue to show it. You would be able to make the case like, hey, there's still good, you know, there's still future generations of filmmakers that could learn actual, you know, what to do in actual good movies and what not to do, of course. But, you know, I, it, it sucks that at one time the, the engine song was considered whimsically humorous family entertainment. It, it sucks that that engine song is probably the least racist moniker I can attach to it. Because uh, I really, I really don't like using uh, the term "red man" uh, unless it's the rapper, of course. I mean, I get that audiences of the time were very different than audiences these days. They had a different kind of willful ignorance back in the day. Uh, offensive wasn't really a thing unless a married couple was shown sleeping in the same bed or someone smoked a jazz cigarette. You know, racial humor was free game, no matter how disparaging. Keep in mind, Peter Pan came out a year before Bing Crosby donned full blackface to sing a song about how Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves, a musical number that could have very easily, very easily been cut entirely at no detriment to the movie. And it would be decades until that was even considered to be somewhat unacceptable. I often wonder... How willfully ignorant the white audiences of the day would have been if, after the engine song, they went into a number about how white people were originally born from a bowl of Kraft mac and cheese, and why does he say, gee golly? Well, that began when the first white man got approved for a reasonable 30-year mortgage. Ooh, and their skin is white because they always get other people to do the work for them. Now... If you found that last bit made you feel angry, 
or offended. And the engine song lyrics didn't, then I would say you have some introspective soul searching to do. I had no problem saying that last bit because for one, I'm white. And two, I love making white people uncomfortable. <laughs> really one of my favorite things to do. But also, I guess it would be the, I guess this would be the third bullet point here. I've been around more than enough white people that seem way too comfortable telling racist jokes and espousing some horrible beliefs that, that I made a few jokes of my own. And if, if you're white and you don't like maybe some of those jokes I made, examine why that is. Maybe try to make some change and, and call out that bullshit when you hear fellow white people being stupid. Stop being so willfully ignorant. If those jokes about white people hurt you deeply, then I can more than guarantee the hurt that other people have felt sitting through decades, even generations of those playfully racist jokes. And that's not a feeling to run from. That is a feeling you should examine and think about. And maybe think about that before you let nostalgia make something better than it deserves to be. You know, maybe ask yourself if this old movie or form of art is really worth defending. Can it really be defended on its merits? Minus the racist stuff? Or is it just adding insult to injury? All right, enough of that nonsense. The next thing I want to do is talk about a few things from last week's episode and um, some other stuff about the show. Um, as we get, you know, as we get farther into things and whatnot. Uh, first, I don't know if anybody noticed, but by the last week's episode, by the time the last week's episode came out, um, it was already a little bit dated. Um, I talked about uh, the new Slaughter to Prevail album and my excitement. Uh, well, the album was already out by the time um, for maybe by that time that I released the first episode uh, for maybe at a week or more. Uh, before I released it, but I uh, I had already recorded the whole thing, and I wasn't going to go back and re-record it, um, I, so I just went with it, um, and here we are. So to follow up on that, I did get to listen to it, and um, I really liked it, but I was also wrong about them a little bit, uh, where I was expecting something a little uh, more similar to their previous um, album, their debut. I think I had compared them to a bit of The Faceless, and they do have a lot of the style of that genre. I I feel like they really changed things up in a way that I wasn't expecting uh, on the new album. Uh, the new album, Kostolom, uh, they are a Russian band, uh, is definitely squarely in the realm of, of deathcore, I believe it goes by. Um, very technical guitar work uh, and riffing and uh, very demanding drum work and, of course, the vocals as guttural as fucking possible. Uh, but with this one, the the best way I have to describe it is uh, is like they brought that signature deathcore style, but with kind of a slipknot edge to it. Uh, and while we're at it, rest in peace, Joey. But uh, like a like a more mainstream, accessible sound, but in in the right way. There were a lot of parts to it with the the vocal changes, the guitar melodies, where you would normally have some. You know, real chunky technical riff. It sounded like they had taken some influence from like Corn and Slipknot, uh, but it all sounded really fun. Like you could hear that they knew what direction they wanted 
and they had fun making the album. It just it, it just kind of sounds that way, uh, and it and it translates to a really fun listen, uh, especially for the deathcore genre. I it did have a more radio friendly sound, if you will, but no whiny clean vocals that I, I a lot of bands seem to want to go into, and I just. Hmm. The clean vocals here sounded, you know, more insane, like, um, and, um, and and they flowed really well between the growling vocals. Um, and all in all, I was really impressed. Usually second albums, the band sticks with a set formula, uh, understandably. Uh, changing things up can be a real gamble, but I feel it paid off here. Uh, it's accessible, it brings in... A more di- you know more diverse fans. Uh, yeah, I use the word mainstream. Mainstream is fine to a point. Sometimes going mainstreams for bands can kind of drastically change their style for the rest of time. But sometimes it can be done right, where a band can still evolve but reach a wider audience. And I really feel that Slaughter to Prevail succeeded in doing the latter while keeping the right elements of new and old. There is a uh, the anniversary of the Black album right now, so that's. Uh, pretty good case in point there. Uh, but all in all, very solid album. Super fun and catchy, which you don't normally find such catchy grooves and rhythms in that field of metal. So good on them. Uh, I hope to hear more from them on down the road. And next, I do want to give a uh, very welcome update. Um, I On my post the other day on Facebook about my wife and daughter, uh, they had come down with something, but it was not COVID. Yes! And the game continues, but uh, but they are doing uh, much better and now, and not just because it's not the Rona, but because they're actually feeling better now. So thank you to my entire audience for your understanding as we continue with this show. Uh, I'm still, of course, figuring a lot of this out as I go, just winging it really. So needless to say, there are probably going to be delays and issues that may keep me from getting episodes out on a specific day of the week. I would love to be able to say that I'll have a new episode out every Tuesday or or whatnot, but life always has its way, whether we like it or not. Life, uh, finds a way. So bear with me as we go, and and, uh, I will get better at setting up uh, a more regular routine for recording, and I'll be honest with you guys, I'm probably not always going to have a great reason for the delays because, well, for one, the Nintendo Switch is a thing that exists, and it's pretty fucking sweet. Um, It's pretty easy to uh, sink some time into that, so also I don't currently have the ability to record anytime I want. For one, I still work a full-time job, but also I do live in a place with paper-thin walls and an eight-year-old daughter that doesn't need to be hearing most of this shit. You may have noticed that I tend to use a large room inside voice, so I do have to make some preparations to be able to record, uh, not not just so she doesn't hear me, but also so that all the silent parts don't include the Pokemon episodes she's usually watching in the living room. Honestly, it's probably mostly that. Like, I, I put a lot of care into the audio quality of this, and, and I, I can't have you asking, is that the Pokemon theme in the background? Man, that shit still slaps, like, while I'm in the middle of shitting on your childhood or whatnot. But um, I don't... It's kind of funny. I don't feel like I have to hide curse words and things like that from from my daughter because I'm afraid that she'll learn them. 
I actually I have to really just hide them because uh, because she doesn't like hearing them. I'm not worried about her learning them. She knows all of them, um, as far as I can tell. Uh, and and I think I think that deep down, I think really deep down, she she likes them too. She likes curse words too. Um, and I'll give you a little a, a couple of examples. For one, when she was real young, uh, probably about um, I think about two or three, somewhere in there, and she was learning how to say you know all of her words and everything. She didn't really pronounce her R's all that great. And of course, I had fun with this, and I would say we would say like Lily say shirt, and she would say shit, and then I would say Lily say fork, and she would say fuck, and then I would say no no Lily say fork, and she would say fuck. She had like a the look of like a teenager to her face, just like what's the problem? I'm saying the word. And then later on in life, she started to do this thing. She hasn't done it in a while. Um, probably for the better, but, uh, she used to do this thing where sometimes, especially when we were in, like at a park, uh, in public, you know, around other people and families and people with ear holes. And she would read something that somebody had carved into the table and she would say, that says fuck. You're not supposed to say fuck. Fuck is a bad word. You shouldn't say fuck. And I mean, she would just keep going and, and, and very loud too, pretty, you know, outside voice kind of, uh, and it was, that was, that was fun. But I always felt like there was a certain tone to her voice that said she knew what she was doing and she was enjoying it. She had a slight smile on her face that said she knew that she was getting away with it and that she had found her in. So, um, obviously I'm, I'm raising the next comedic genius out there. We'll see. So as I was saying, just bear with me as I try to mitigate my daughter's exposure to curse words and, um, evil liberal ideals, um, and things like that. I, I, uh, but I, I do intend to keep up as, as regular recording schedule as possible to, you know, really get this thing off the ground. And I, and I thank you for sticking with me through the whole thing and, um, and, and, and putting up with it. And I think now would be a good time to get into my first, uh, TV show recommendation for you, the audience. I discovered something while watching The Simpsons. Now, I'm not just I'm not just saying, "Oh, you should go watch The Simpsons." Everybody knows about The Simpsons. Of course, we all we all even if you don't watch The Simpsons, you know about the show. It's it's that it's that iconic. But um a little while back, I guess way longer back, like years ago, um when they had The Simpsons on this one streaming platform, we watched some of the older seasons. And then we would, of course, watch some of the newer seasons when they would put them on Hulu. But then they added everything over to Disney+. And it was kind of hard to figure out where we left off in the early seasons. So I thought, you know what, we just watched the newest season. Why don't we go back a season? And then we started just watching it in reverse order. And I would highly recommend it. It's an interesting way to watch a TV show, especially one as long-running as The Simpsons. You get to watch all of the characters just de-evolve over time. They 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 have their um, their things about them. Like, you get to see the episode when, when Lisa first decides to be a Buddhist. 
Um, and then for the rest of the show, she's not referencing Buddhism as much. And it's, it's not a thing that she does anymore uh, because we're going in reverse order. So you just watch a season and then go back to the season before it. And don't like watch every episode in reverse order. That would be a real bitch. Like that, that would be annoying as fuck to have to do. Yes, at the end of each season, you do have to go back a season. You'll find yourself watching an episode like, I recognize this, and then you'll realize that you are you started a new season. So then you go back. Um, but uh, it was interesting seeing the first episode where Barney decided not to be a raging alcoholic anymore. That was pretty cool because I had forgotten that in most of the new season, in a lot of the new seasons for the past few years, he's had his hair slicked back and he's always had a cup of coffee even if he's at the bar. He's not a raging drunk anymore. It's been that way for a while. And then you get back into those real old seasons, like, you know, season 10 and and before, and then he's an alcoholic again. (laughs) I don't know exactly which, uh, I can't remember exactly which season he decided to, um, you know, to start handling his alcoholism, but there's a, you know, there's that clear episode when he, decides to do that and then for the rest of the show he's a raging drunk so it's it's just a real and then, and then by the time you get to the end of the show the the last episode of season one you've you've watched all of the seasons that made that show that gave that show the name that it got that it gave itself um the you know when people say oh i like old simpsons better that's what you got to end with instead of new seasons New seasons, I like the new seasons of Simpsons. It's it's amazing to me that they really haven't dipped in quality of episodes much at all. They're they're all very they're decent episodes. It's not as hit or miss as Family Guy has been in the last few years. I say few years like it's hasn't been that like it, Family Guy hasn't been that great for a little while, but the Simpsons has maintained a fairly steady level of quality. It's not bad, but it's really interesting to see the old episodes at the end of your show run instead of um instead of you know getting to the end of your show run and and all you know watching all of your characters say goodbye and everything you get to watch them at a time when you know the show was trying to prove itself when they were trying to be as entertaining as possible it's it's kind of cool uh the really interesting way to watch a show i haven't tried any other shows like that but i would highly recommend if you've got a lo- super long running show like that uh you know like 30 fucking years all i believe um simpsons has been going um but yeah instead of just you know watching it from the beginning and trying to catch up go ahead and watch the last season and work your way back from there especially with the format of the show i mean every at, a, at the end of every episode everything goes back to normal um, so it's not like you're, other than little character development bits, you're not really missing anything. It's kind of cool. I think it's kind of cool. So I guess I'm getting to the end of my time here for this episode. Probably better wrap it up. So I guess I'll follow through with kind of what I did in the last episode. I sort of left you with a downer moment. And I guess I'll do it again. It's only fitting. I gotta do it a second time. See how it's right. Well, maybe I'll do it the third time and realize I don't like doing it anymore. But I, you know, I kind of enjoyed it last time. So, global warming, climate change, and all that. And don't worry, it's not going to be that depressing. But I feel like we should really all, as, as a more as a whole, as a society, we we really need to pay more attention to 
what's going on with global warming. Obviously, we've seen all the predictions. We've 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 been told the clock is just ticking. And and but but I think I I think I think we need to be more aware of it for a different reason because you know soon Florida is probably going to be underwater. Um which is just, it's crazy. The whole state of Florida could be underwater. Sadly, it may not take that much time, but, and, and not just because of the threat of like the methed up sea serpents that are going to come out of an underwater Florida, but Florida would kind of be like a modern day Atlantis, um, you know, a society that went underwater. But I mean, let's be honest, going to kind of be of a bit of an of an embarrassing Atlantis you know I don't I don't I feel like if Florida were to go underwater we may just kind of want to go ahead and bury it like it never happened and that way future civilizations scientists they'd probably be like well we know that it may have existed at one time uh but we don't have any records of it you know it was probably some really advanced hub of civilization that was lost to the sea. I mean, we both know that's probably the best thing that we could do for the legacy of Florida um, is just, you know, once it gets swallowed up, just bury all the records uh, and, and, you know, pretend that it never existed so that future civilizations will, you know, kind of build it up to be uh, more than what it was. Um, but then also there's those... There's the methed up sea serpents that we're going to have to deal with. That's, that's going to be the really... I, I think that's probably the scarier thought there. Oh, fuck. And then the alligators, too. All the... Oh, jeez. Once the... Oh, that's a scary scenario right there. I'm just going to... I think I'll leave you with that one. I'll, 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 show, I'll show myself out now. Ooh, that was scary. Oh. Well, seems I've gone and soiled myself.